Hey, welcome back to the Bible and Life podcast. I'm so glad you could join me on this episode. If you are listening for the first time, welcome to the Bible and Life. Our goal here is to give what I like to call blue jeans theology. And by that, I mean theology that's connected to everyday life, Bible teaching that, that sets down right in the middle of where we live every day and helps us think about God, the Bible, and life in a way that really reflects who Jesus is and what Jesus wants for us. So welcome. I'm so glad you're, you're joining me. If you're a regular listener, man, thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. If you are feeling a little stuck in your own Bible reading or not sure what to read next or maybe you would like a little more guidance on how to read the Bible, I've got a couple resources on my website that I will link in the notes down below that should help you out. One is a Follow Jesus Bible reading plan that um, I put together that will be great to help you in your own personal Bible reading, help you grow in your faith. Or it would also be great to do with somebody else and use as a kind of a discipleship tool. In fact, that's the original reason I put it together. So there's a Bible reading plan on my website. There's also a little guide that's like the seven-step guide to really being changed by the Bible. They're reading the Bible and understanding it and really knowing what the Bible is all about. So I'll put the links to both of those down below. If those are some things that might be helpful to you, you might check those out as well. All right, we have been in a series that we're calling Big Bible Words, where what we're doing is we're looking at some of those key theological words that we rarely use outside of the Bible. And so, you know, we often don't really know exactly what they mean. And then we read them in the Bible and it's like, wow, what is that all about? And so we're just trying to clarify some of those big Bible words. And in the first uh, episode in this series, we looked at the word gospel and what really is the gospel? What does that word really refer to? Last week, we looked at the word grace and what does the word grace mean? In this episode, we want to discuss the word kingdom of God. All right, fair enough. I know it's not a word. I know it's a phrase, but it's really a crucial and central phrase to understanding the story of the Bible and the ministry and message of Jesus as a whole. And the reason for that is because Jesus showed up on the scene and he began announcing the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he announces it in such a way that he almost assumes we know what what, what it's about. We know that it's a big deal and we should be excited about its arrival, right? And, and so it that tells us that, man, this is a central part of what's led up to this moment. We need to understand this if we're going to understand Jesus and what he's teaching, what his vocation is, what he's seeking to accomplish, what is the kingdom of God. And yet, at the same time, I feel like there is a, some pretty good confusion in the church today on that. We hear the phrase kingdom of God, and maybe we think, oh yeah, that's going to come someday in the future. Well, then how does that fit with Jesus saying the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is at hand? Or we, we particularly with the synonymous phrase kingdom of heaven, that's the phrase Matthew in his gospel he likes to use for the, the kingdom of God. We hear that, we think, oh yeah, that's referring to heaven. Someday heaven's going to come or we're going to go to heaven and that's what that's about. But that's just not what it's about. The phrase kingdom of heaven is identical with the phrase kingdom of God and neither of them refer, refer exclusively to heaven or to going to heaven when you die or to what's going to happen in the future, the phrase kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven both refer to heaven's rule or heaven's reign or God's reign, God's kingship, if you will, over this world and over the people of his world in and through his people, God's reign, God's rule. That's what the kingdom of God in a nutshell really is. 
But in the story of the Bible, this is a pretty big deal. And that's why when Jesus shows up and says, God's kingdom is here, man, that's like alarm bells go off in the minds of people. Uh, Anticipation and excitement begins to happen. And as Jesus uh, continues to teach, perform miracles, all of a sudden the anticipation builds. Maybe it really is the kingdom. Maybe, Maybe now is the time. Now is the day. But we don't always hear it that way because... We don't know the whole story or we've missed really what that phrase is referring to. And so I want to just clarify some things about the the kingship of heaven, the kingship of God, to help us understand what's really going on when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. So to begin, think about this. Isn't God already king? Hasn't God always been king? Well, if that's the case, then when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, isn't it sort of like a hello, duh moment where it's like, yeah, of course, Jesus, the kingdom of God is here because God is king. God reigns and God rules and this is his world, right? Well, yes and no. If you look around at this world, it doesn't take very long to realize that God's reign is not fully active and completely effective in this world. That is, what God wants done isn't totally being done in this world, is it? And so, in a certain sense, it's like, well, yeah, God's king, but he's not really reigning over this world completely and fully yet. This world is still in revolt or in rebellion to him. And that's what's at the heart of the biblical story, and that's what's at heart in this phrase. And so as you read through the scriptures, what you'll see is this affirmation that this is God's world, God is in charge, God is king, and yet at the same time, you'll see a longing for God's kingdom to come, God's kingship to to arrive in fullness and completely. And this becomes very evident, for example, in the Psalms, where You have this dual celebration. The Lord is king. The Lord reigns. But then you'll have these moments where the the great prophetic and poetic hope shows up that says, someday the Lord will come as king and the Lord will reign and he will judge the peoples with justice and fairness and everything will be made right. For example, Psalm 96, the last bit of it, reads like this. Beginning in verse 7, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. And that idea of God coming to judge is coming to judge, to rule is the idea. Like the judges in the Old Testament, they were rulers. They reigned. They had influence in their sphere of influence, right? They were little 
kings almost. Well, that's the picture. There is a day coming when God's going to come to reign and to rule, and in that he will judge, he will carry out justice, he will bring equity and fairness to the world, and everything will be made right. That is the great prophetic and poetic hope of the Bible, that God is king, But his kingship isn't fully here, and someday his kingship is going to come completely and totally. Well, that sets the trajectory of sort of the biblical hope. And so as you're reading through the Psalms and you're reading through the prophets, you begin to hear these, uh, these, really these, these anticipations of God coming to reign, this longing for God to set things right, this desire to to affirm that God is king. And even some of the passages that just stated as a fact, the Lord is king. They state it as a fact, but they state it in such a way where it's like, man, but it's not totally being enacted yet. His kingship hasn't fully and completely come. And so we hear that longing. Now, the other part of that that's really important as we read through the biblical story is that God's kingship becomes kind of located in the people of Israel and specifically in the dynasty of David. And so in the book of Samuel, you'll hear this promise to David that there is going to be a king on the throne of David. In other words, his dynasty is going to go on forever and ever. But if you know the biblical story, you know what happens. The dynasty of David lasts for centuries, but then because of the violation of the covenant and the breaking faith with God, God sends his people away into exile, and there's no longer a king on David's throne. Well, is is God's promise over? Has God's word failed? And the answer to that is no. And so the prophets remind the people that no, someday God will restore that. That in the words of Isaiah, that there will be a a shoot that comes up out of the stump of Jesse. In other words, Jesse, David's father, right? Like um, that's going to be cut off, cut down. Yes, that did happen, and yet there's still going to be a shoot that's going to come out of that. In other words, there's going to be a a new line, a new dynasty of David. And so now we get this prophetic hope that someday there's going to be a new Davidic king, a new king of David to come. Well, this leads to this anticipation of a, a, a ruler who's going to bring God's kingdom, a Messiah, an anointed one who's going to bring God's kingdom. And so they're looking forward to that. And then combined with that, you, you you get like this passage out of uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, that's like, okay, what is that about? Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Let me read it to you. Daniel has a vision, and this is what he sees. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Do you recognize that phrase? If you're familiar with the Gospels, Jesus takes that phrase, son of man, upon himself, and he applies really this passage to himself. And so he says uh, that there came one like a son of man and he came up to the ancient of days, a way of describing God. And to him, this one like a son of man, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. 
And so here now is this hope of one like a son of man, in other words, a human being who's presented before God and he's given this eternal, undying kingdom um, over all peoples, over all of the earth. Well, this poetic and prophetic hope uh, then begins to kind of reverberate down through the centuries as the remnant of God's people, the faithful among God's people are like, so when, O Lord, are you going to come to reign? When is your king the one who's going to enact your reign over all the earth? When is that going to happen? And so they're looking forward to God bringing his kingdom and God sending his king through whom that kingdom is going to be executed and carried out. And he's looking forward to that. So by the time we arrive at the first century, man, there is really this kind of anticipation, this this almost fever pitch among some sectors of the Jews, at least, for God's kingdom to come. And among some of them specifically, for God's Messiah, God's King to come, who's going to bring this kingdom, this rule, this reign, that's going to bring justice and equity and fairness to the earth. Now, to be fair, there was a lot of confusion about that, and it wasn't like there was one sort of monolithic view of that. There was differences among various Jewish groups, but there was sort of this great longing for God's kingdom to come, that faithful Jews knew the final chapter in the story hadn't been written yet, and they're waiting and praying and longing and watching for God's king and God's kingdom to come. And in that spirit, then, you have um, these words that are familiar for us as we enter into the holiday season that's just on the horizon here. You have these words in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 that are very familiar words uh, at the Christmas season. Listen to what's written when the, when the angel Gabriel appears. This is the way Luke records what happens in Luke chapter 1. He writes, beginning in verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. He was of the house of David. Well, that's significant, right? Like this lineage of David on whose throne the Messiah is going to sit. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her, Gabriel, and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is a startling and surprising turn of events. This great longing and this anticipation now here in this very kind of like private moment to this young girl in a kind of backwaters of the empire, the angel Gabriel comes and says, I'm going to fulfill the great promise that I made way back in in the story of David, that there would be a descendant to sit on his throne forever and ever. And it's not going to be a sequential um, 
fulfillment of that promise. I'm not going to have multiple different kings. Here is the final king, the great king, the son of the Most High, and he's going to sit on his kingdom, on his throne forever. And Mary, you know, has got to be confused. What does that mean? And how does that work? And maybe she assumed there was going to be, well, just a new dynasty starting with her son. And yet she believed the, the angel and she says, uh, eventually, you know, she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel explains it to her, and she, she took him at his word. And God fulfilled his promise to her and through her. Well, then, um, you know, months later, Jesus is born, and the angel Gabriel now appears to the shepherds out in the fields at night, right? The familiar Christmas story. But listen to what's written there to the shepherds in the fields. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 11 Notice the words that are spoken. It says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, alarm bells, we know that there's a great promise that's going to be fulfilled here, a Savior who is Christ, i.e. Messiah, who is Messiah the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth among people. Whom, with whom he is pleased. In other words, um, the Messiah is coming. This long-awaited promise is being fulfilled, and God's kingdom is going to come. And so among these, these little groups of people, now you know and the rumors are going to begin to spread, and all this anticipation now is going to be focused here at this point, at this time. What does this mean? Um, and what does this mean for God's kingdom? And so that's the context for Jesus' ministry. That's the context for Jesus' words. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, and now all of a sudden he is grown up, and he is an adult, um, and he comes and he is baptized, and then he goes off and he's tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, right? And he's fasting and praying, all of that. And when he comes back out of the wilderness, what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus says, that he, he comes declaring the kingdom. In fact, Matthew's version, let me read it to you, Matthew chapter 4, when, when Jesus returns um, out of the wilderness, this is what happens. It says this, Matthew four seventeen. from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, not going to heaven when you die, heaven's rule, the reign that comes from heaven, the kingship that comes from heaven, God's kingdom is at hand. All the Jews have been looking forward to this, and the anticipation is high. Or again, just a little bit later, Matthew writes this in Matthew 4.23. He says, And he, Jesus, went, went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So that's how Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry and Jesus' preaching, it's the gospel of the kingdom. He's teaching the kingdom, that, that God's kingdom is here. And so in and through Jesus, the kingdom has come. And so in a very real sense, God's kingdom has already come. And yet, we know, once again, read the news, look around you, and yet God's rule isn't effective in every part of the world, is it? It's not even always effective in and through his people. And so God's kingdom has come, it's here, and yet it hasn't come 
completely and fully. And that's really important for understanding where we live as God's people today. God's kingdom has been inaugurated. It's been started and begun, but it hasn't been completed. It hasn't come in fullness. And so we live in between the times where the kingdom has begun, but the kingdom hasn't finally come. And we're still waiting for that poetic and prophetic hope to finally and fully arrive when God will come and he will judge the people with equity and he will bring justice to this world. That's where we live. And so those of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus is king. And our role is to submit to his kingship so that in us and through us, his reign is being realized and is being actualized in our relationships, in our thinking, in what we do and how we act. We are to be agents of the kingdom who are um, extending his reign, expressing his kingship in our sphere of influence so that people can see there's a new day dawning, there's a new kingship coming, there's a new rule on the horizon. It just hasn't fully come yet. And we want to give them a vision of what that looks like in and through our life. And so... As God's people, that's why we pray, as Jesus taught us, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That reminds us of the, the tension we live in. We live between the times, if you will, where God's kingdom has come in and through Jesus and his resurrection. And bursting out of that tomb is a new kingdom and a new reign and a new rule. God's kingdom is here and it's at work and it's present in and through us. And death and sin and evil has been defeated and new life is here. And yet, it hasn't come fully, and we're looking forward to the day, and we're praying for the day when his kingdom will come in fullness and will come completely. And God, God's reign will be over all the earth, over all the peoples. And then the mountains will clap for joy. The trees will sing for joy because God will come. And he will bring justice to the world. He will come to judge the world in equity. And he will judge the nations in fairness. And all will be made right. And so God's kingdom is God's rule and reign. It came in the person of Jesus. And it is yet to come in and through Jesus when he returns again. And everything is made right someday. And so as God's people, we live in this tension between uh, sin, death, evil uh, has been uh, defeated in and through the work of Jesus, and yet it hasn't completely been vanquished or eliminated yet, and we look forward to the day when God's kingdom will come fully and finally in and through Jesus himself. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Once again, I'm so grateful to each and every one of you who are part of the Bible and Life family, who pray for this ministry to continue to expand and increase. Man, I, I, I covet your prayers. I need your prayers, so pray for that. Um, not only that, I'm grateful to each and every one of you who make this ministry possible by your financial support, whether it's through my Patreon page and all of you who are patrons over there, man, many blessings to you. Thanks a ton for that. Or whether you donate through the donate button on my website that goes through World Family Mission. Both are legitimate. So thanks uh, for supporting. And if you're not supporting financially and you're like, man, I really appreciate this, I would invite you to become a patron through my Patreon page or to 
to donate through the donate button on my website. Both the links are down below in the notes down below. Uh, thanks again for your support. Thanks again for being a part of the Bible and Life family. God bless you guys, and we will talk again soon.